0: on it. Father God, we do thank you for your word again. We thank you for Paul's letter to the Romans as we draw very much towards the end of this magnificent statement of truth and your gospel. We pray that you would even open our hearts and our ears and our minds and our wills to your word and give us a willingness to obey and live for you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to come and join me on a bit of an imagination trip. This is uh, not a real situation, but it may be one day. Adam is going to India to meet some of Anna's family in India. And so we take him to the airport because he's going for six months, long time, and uh, we're at the airport. We have our cup of coffee or whatever. We do all the stuff, all the queuing. We get to the departure gate. We're saying goodbye to Adam. Mum's there. She's done her crying, and that's done with, okay? <laughs> and she says, now make sure you say hello to Molly Kochima, to Ajit and Dina, to Avrachayan, to Anuamama, anu- anu- and all the family with them. And then she says. But be careful that you don't drink the water unless it's been boiled or unless it comes out of a bottle because you'll get sick. And watch out if you have to go to a hospital or the doctor. Don't go to just any hospital. Go to the ones the family say to go to because some of them are terrible. And don't eat just any food from the street stalls. Some of it, you'll get sick Adam. And when you're there, don't just carry your money loosely and throw it all around because it's a dangerous place and you don't know what might happen to you in India. And it's say, yeah, okay, mum, I'll be okay. All right, mum, all right, mum. And then Anna says, Susan Kotchima and Uncle Steve say hi. Make sure you pass on their greetings. And pass on the greetings from Jojo Chan and Auntie Leanne because they also say hi. Yes, Mum, yes, Mum, I'll do all that. See you, babe. Have a great time through the departure gates. Now, that's a pretty normal sort of a story. Like, that's not hard to imagine happening, is it? Say hello to these people. <laughs> say hello, bye from these people, bye, Adam, go. That is exactly what happens as Paul comes to the end of his letter to the Romans. Now, he loves these people. He cares for them. Why does Anna make a fuss over Adam before he gets? Because she cares. She loves him. She cares. I want you to be safe. Paul loves the Romans right from the very start of his letter. He says, I've been longing to come to see you. I want to share a gift with you. I want to be mutually encouraged with you and by you. And then most of his letters telling them all the wonderful things that God's done for us through Jesus. How God's been faithful to his promises. How God has united as one people, his people, both Jew and Gentile, under the Messiah, Jesus. And how they are saved by God's grace, just by putting their faith in Jesus as Lord. It's a great, long story of the Gospel, but he's writing to them because he cares. And he wants to make sure those things are certain and Secure. When he gets to the end of his gospel story, he tells them, look after one another. Don't think of yourself more highly than you should. Remember, you're all one body. Each person has a part to play. And then this wonderful passage in Romans chapter 12, he says to them, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Be devoted to one another. Honour one another above yourselves. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Do not be conceited. It's really, really important that you get along and you're other person focused, says Paul. He goes on further. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. Love does no harm to its neighbour. Therefore, love is the fulfilment of the law. He then goes on to say, listen, there's some disagreements between you and the church in Rome. I know know there are. Some Jewish people or Jewish-minded people, some more pagan, Roman, Greek-minded people. But you're all one family. All these little things that might divide you, don't let them divide you. Accept one another. Bear with one another. For the weak who are maybe not quite getting the application of the Gospel right, just bear with them. Love one another. It says again and again, accept one another in the Lord Jesus just as Christ has accepted you all. You're all one family. Same father, same family. Love one another. It's a big deal. In Romans, he says to them, May the God of hope fill you with all joy, all of you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then he says, listen, I love you guys. I've been wanting to come to you for ages, back to what he said at the start, "but but I'm on my way. I'm going to Spain. I'm on my way and I really want to be encouraged by you. And then we get to the end, the end like the end, takes a long time to get to, as we've been seeing in our series. He says, say hello to this person and that person and that person and that person, all these people that I love dearly, my beloved, the fellow workers. It's so positive. It's so encouraging. There's so much warmth in Paul's writing. So much obvious care for the Roman Christians. And then, changes tack. There's a change, it's like a cool wind blows through at the end of his letter. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. I urge you brothers and sisters to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in the way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. The warmth evaporates leaving us with a stern warning. It's just as if the Romans are about to go through the departure gates. And Paul, because he's concerned about them, because he loves them, starts to fuss over them. Watch out. There are dangers. I don't want you to be unaware of these things as I'm about to say goodbye in my letter. Because it's a dangerous world out there. And you're God's exiles. You you don't quite fit into this world. You've been called and chosen out of this world to be God's people. And there are dangers when you're different. And there'll be people who want to trip you up. So you need to hold together. So what do they have to watch out for? What are the dangers? Well, I read it again. I read it again. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions. And put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. Keep away from them. That's a bit harsh, isn't it? Keep away. That's a bit rough. Well, what about this scenario? imagine I don't want you to go any beyond further than imagining this. You're a Muslim parent. You've got a 16-year-old son. You live in Granville. He says, mum and dad, I'm going to the mosque in Parramatta every week. And you say to him, watch out for those ISIL recruiters. Watch out for those jihadists. Don't have anything to do with them. Keep away from them, son. Is that harsh? Is that unreasonable? No, it's not because, boy, there are very real and incredible dangers about some of the people who associate with that mosque in Parramatta. I don't want you to get mixed up with them. It's just too dangerous. Watch out. Keep away. What's happened to all the tolerance? Look, we'll just tolerate them. They're okay. No, no, they are deceitful divisive, dangerous people do not associate with them. Paul has been writing about the purity of the gospel of God revealed in the Lord Jesus that God has been faithful to his promises, that the Messiah promised has come and he has paid the price for your sin and rejection of God. He has opened up the way to reconciliation with God. Paul's been writing about the priority of God's grace and that you, all you Roman Christians, you're united as one family in the Lord Jesus. Yes, it's a struggle in the present time, but there is a glory to come which far outweighs it. And anybody that would lead you away from those glorious truths on which you take your stand. They are dangerous people. There are eternal realities at stake. Watch out. This is important. This is a serious matter. If you go back to the Old Testament writings, there are so many warnings about idolatry. Do not start worshipping idols. Do not fall away. Watch out. One that I was reading recently in Deuteronomy chapter thirteen. If a prophet or one who foretells by dreams appears amongst you and announces to you a miraculous sign or wonder, and if the sign or wonder of which he has spoken takes place, so remarkable things are happening as through this prophet, and that prophet says, Let us follow other gods, gods you have not known, and let us worship them, you must not listen to the words of that dreamer or prophet. The Lord your God is testing you to find out if you love him with all your heart and with all your soul. It is the Lord your God you must follow and him you must revere. Keep his commands and obey him. And what about the prophet? That deceiver? That prophet or dreamer must be put to death because he preached rebellion against the Lord. This is serious stuff. And the chapter goes on. Watch out. Eternal realities are at stake. So, truth matters. Because God matters and God is one. We don't determine who God is. God determines who God is in the shape of our world. Truth matters. So do you become a stickler over every single point? Do you insist on absolute purity of doctrine and therefore not associate with everybody who doesn't agree with you? Well, remember this. It wasn't long ago in Paul's letter that he was encouraging the Romans to accept one another. Same father, same family, despite their differences. And back then, Paul is not talking about the basics, the essentials of the gospel. He is saying some people are weak in faith. Some people fail to apply the truths of Jesus completely in their life and they haven't quite got the whole package yet. But accept those people. Accept one another. If they're different differences of opinion, they're still believers Because those people still submit to Jesus as Lord, they still seek to live by faith and accept that they're saved by God's grace, not by their own efforts. And So don't be proud, don't be doctrinaire with such things. Be tolerant even. But I think what Paul's saying here is those who would deny the basics, those who would deny the priority of grace, those who would distort the person of Jesus and make him less than the Son of God, who came in flesh. Those who say you have to save yourself through your own efforts. Those who exalt themselves and show, we've got the secret ways. Those who cause division in the church by their teaching of a new way. Who set up a superior gospel, a superior way of being saved by your own works and your own effort. Those who make people stumble and lay heavy burdens on their shoulders that they cannot bear, watch out for them. They are poison. You don't drink poison. You don't even associate with it. They, in fact, do the work of Satan. Do not associate with such people. How do you identify them? For such people, verse 18, are not serving our Lord Christ, the Messiah, but their own appetites, literally their own bellies. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive or innocent people. They're self-serving, self-exalting, burden-laying people. They come with attractive new answers and they put the responsibility on you so you start thinking, oh, maybe I can save myself and maybe I should save myself. And they talk well and they offer false praise and flattery but they're offering poison. And what do you do? You have nothing to do with them. But isn't isn't that an overreaction Paul's making, isn't he? It's kind of like at the airport, Adam at the airport. Yes, Mum, I won't drink the water. Leave me alone. I'll be all right. Yes, Paul, yes, we know there's people who might lead us astray, but we're not going to listen to them. Don't worry. I'll be okay. I'll go to India. Don't worry. I'll, I'll drink whatever water I want. It doesn't matter which doctor I go to. There's no dangers. I can look after myself. My stomach won't get sick if I drink the water. That is just plain naive. And if we think that we do not have to watch out about these things, then we are just plain naive. You look at church history, and I'm not talking about big church history you're reading the textbooks. I'm talking about any Christian group in any place at any time in the history of the church. And you will find as you look at them that there are people who rise up with false teaching, who exalt themselves, who draw attention to themselves, who offer a new way and who try to divide the church. In Africa, in Asia, in Australia, in medieval Europe, just I don't care where it happens. Watch out. And if it can happen, then if, what's history partly about? Partly it's about knowing, but partly it's hopefully about learning. Don't make the same mistakes. It could happen here. And that means you have to weigh what people like myself say. You have to watch out. It's a corporate responsibility and it becomes, in a sense, an individual responsibility with, with, with humility. Watch out that you are not led astray. You don't fall over stumbling blocks. In other words, get back to the foundations. Work hard at the scriptures. Read, submit and obey. Remember, we're saved by grace. You can't sing Amazing Grace too many times because that's what we're saved by. You've got to keep reminding yourself of that. We're saved through the Messiah, Jesus, the God-man who came to our earth And died and made atonement for our sins, to use the fancy language. And rose bodily on the third day. And today is conquering, Lord, and he shall return. These are basics you do not mess with. This is why creeds help. We're not, Baptists will often say, Baptists, if you don't know much about church life and history and denominations, Baptists are, we're we're, we're independent. We're just the church here and we don't hold to great institutions and great bodies. And that's good. I'm a Baptist in that sense. I'm a Christian a hundred times more. But Baptists say we don't have creeds. Some Baptists will say that because we just go back to the Bible. And that's not a bad thing. But the creeds of the church, these statements of faith can be very helpful because what they try and do is state what the basics are. Yes, we'll have divisions over some things. Yes, there will be differences of opinion, but they shouldn't split us. But there are some truths that are basic. And the creeds of the church help to outline what those basic truths are so that we can be discerning. You think, oh, isn't that narrow minded is isn't that restrictive just holding to these truths and not being open to other things. I have to tell you, to move away from Jesus is to move away from hope. Is to move away from life. To try and save yourself is to choose death. You have to watch out and not to warn each other. Not to be watchful is naive and unloving and in the church it's a failure of leadership. One of the things you, ex- you should expect from the elders of this church is that they will watch out on behalf of the body and address false teaching that would undermine Jesus and grace and the glory of God. But, Paul's here at the departure lounge, he's got great confidence in the Romans. He said back in chapter 15, I myself, in verse 14, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, complete in knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. You've got the full package, I've got confidence in you. And here it's like Paul at the airport departure says, if we were mum saying to Adam, Anna saying to Adam, you're a good kid, you're a good boy. I know you'll do well. I've got every confidence in you but I do want you to be careful. That's what Paul says in verse 19. Everyone has heard about your obedience. So I am full of joy over you but I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is is evil. Paul raises, this is a question, this watching out, it's a question over good and evil. We're not mucking about here. It's as black and white as good and evil, this watching out for these false teachers. Because our battle, as Paul says elsewhere, is not against flesh and blood, but against powers and authorities in the heavenly realms. It's a spiritual battle. And there is Satan at work, the Lord of rebellion against God. It's a serious matter. To give you some sense of the danger, I'll go to Paul's letter to the Corinthians, his second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 11. Paul says to them, he cares about this church. Chapter 11, verse 2, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promise you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you to him as a pure virgin. I've been working hard amongst you as a church and you're for Jesus. But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you received a different spirit from the one you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. Paul's saying you've received the right Jesus, but you're not watching out. And Satan is deceiving you. As you listen to these false apostles, he goes on later in the chapter in verse 13, for such men are false apostles, they're deceitful workmen, they're masquerading as apostles of Christ. They're fakes with their flattery and their smooth talk. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising then that if his servants masquerade as servants of righteousness, their end will be what their actions deserve. Paul's saying to the Corinthians, Watch out! Satan is deceptive. This is a matter of good and evil. And he, Satan wants to deceive. He wants to undermine grace. He wants to discourage you. He wants to accuse you. That's what his name means. The accuser. You're not good enough. You need to do more. As if Jesus' death and resurrection could save a rotter like you. You need to do this, you need to do that, you need to follow this teaching, you need to have that experience, otherwise you'll never cut it with God. When you start hearing those words, that is the work of the evil one. And when you hear other people teaching you that, red flag, watch out. They are doing the work of Satan. Jesus has done all that we need. don't need to do any more than put your faith in him as Messiah, as Christ and Lord, as Saviour. Satan wants to diminish the finished work of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the lordship of Jesus, say so he's not quite good enough. Watch out. Paul says, I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent about the evil. It's an interesting statement because so often we're fascinated by evil, aren't we? We're fascinated by perversion, by distortion. How does that work? What goes on there? Paul says, I don't want you to be like that. I don't want you to explore what these false teachers are teaching. I don't want you to be wise about any evil. I want you to be wise about that which is good. I want you to be wise about the finished work of Jesus. I want you to be wise about God's faithfulness to his promises. I want you to be wise about grace. I want you to be wise in the love of God and I then want you in your wisdom to embrace that, to rejoice in that and put it into practice. Don't go learning about things that are perverted. And this applies to so many areas of life rather be wise about what is pure and holy and righteous and true. Study those things. Put them into practice. Check it out. I wonder if this really works. I wonder if loving my neighbour and praying for my enemies really works. Or is there some secret that I can hurt my neighbour that I haven't yet discovered? No, 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 no. See if it works to love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. Be wise about what is good. Adam is going to India for six months to spend some time with Anna's family there. What is going to keep him safe for six months more than anything else? Well, he could listen to mum's advice at the last minute at the airport and that probably will help. But you know, the thing that will keep him most safe in India is Anna's family. they know how it rolls. They know the good doctors. They know the good medical centres. They know which water is clean and which isn't. They'll be able to protect you. When you're on the roads, they'll drive you and probably get you there. Adam's best source of security is Anna's family and him putting his faith and trust in them. So it is for us as believers. Satan and his evil forces oppose us. They are seeking our destruction. We are powerless on our own. We do not have that power to fight. But we're not alone. Verse 20, Paul writes, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. That phrase goes back to a promise that God made Right at the very start, at creation, just after the fall, and God cursed the serpent who deceived Adam and Eve. And just so I don't forget, I'll go back and read it. And the curse said, I will put enmity to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. You will crush, he will crush your head. That's the offspring of Eve will crush the serpent's head, and you will strike his heel kind of a cryptic promise that one day the descendant of Eve will crush the serpent's head underfoot. Realised by the Lord Jesus, the descendant of Eve who defeated the Satan through his death and resurrection. Realised, this is the great news we see in Romans, by those who are found in Christ who put their faith in the conqueror so that we are also those who will crush the Satan under our feet. We are those who can be secure in Christ. That the evil one who would accuse has no power over us. That we are the victors. That we are accepted. That we are loved. That we are people of grace. We are people who look for the ultimate future when Satan and his host and all those who would follow him will be cast into the lake of fire and destroyed for eternity. So Paul says, the God of peace, interesting image because God is totally about wholeness and righteousness, therefore he will crush, he will destroy the Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. There's victory. There's hope. Don't let anything get in the way of the grace of God because that is your security. The finished work of Jesus. And grace wins. Jesus is King. Grace, the God man coming to earth to save his people, dying for their sins, totally undeserved, grace wins sacrificed for good and care for others, wins. And so Paul finishes his fussing and he gets back to the life of grace. Say hello from these people. Timothy, my fellow worker, sends his greetings to you as does Lucius, Jason and Sosipater, my relatives. I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, whose hospitality I and the whole church here enjoy, sends you his greetings. Erastus, who is the city's director of public works, and our brother Quartus sends you their greetings. Paul is writing from the city of Corinth in what we today call Greece to the city of Rome in what today we call Italy. These are people who are in the city at this time in Corinth, in Greece. Timothy, his protege, his fellow worker, Timothy says greetings and a bunch of others. Gaius, sorry, Tertius, who's Paul's scribe, Tertius actually wrote these words. He's a guy who's a good writer. He says hello. He's probably a well educated man, professional scribe. But, but Gaius, who actually hosts the church, he's a wealthy man. He actually hosts Paul. He's a benefactor. He says hi. As does, where's his name on my notes? Erastus, the director of public works or the treasurer. There is an inscription in ancient Corinth about Erastus. You can see it written in stone. Maybe the same guy, maybe not the director of public works. Erastus, either way, is a big deal in society, he's a man of prominence. You see, the grace of the Lord Jesus has conquered all sorts of people. It's broken down social barriers and they are united as one family, whoever they are, wherever they live. The wealthy and the powerful, the poor and the weak, the Jew and the Gentile, which was a big deal back in those days and perhaps still is today. The slave and the free, male and female, Grace has won. They are bound together by grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. They are exiles together. They've been called out of this world into a new kingdom to be the holy people of God that they may declare the praises of him who called them out of darkness into his wonderful light. Grace wins. I really hope that in this little community here That grace is winning. That there's a love. That there is grace expressed. That we're not bound by works and rules and critical nature. but we've so worked at our purity and the priority of Jesus that grace keeps winning. So let me ask in closing, what do you fuss over? Probably fuss over a lot of things. Let me make it a bit more specific. What do you fuss over in church life? Oh, the service times don't quite suit me. Oh, maybe. What do they have these stupid red chairs for? It'd be so much better if they were orange. (laughs) It's a bit hot today. Oh, the kids' programs. Oh, but uh, what do you fuss over in church life? Well, maybe it's just that person sitting behind you about three to the left. (laughs) Or the people you don't know. So actually I fuss over the fact that I don't know all these people. No one's my friend. <laughs> the colour of the carpet, which is our whole classic one that people always refer to. I hope that we fuss over grace and anything that will reduce the glory of the Lord Jesus and lay our love for God. I hope that we fuss over things that are evil. And I hope we fuss over each other because we care. Not to have them conform to our image, but that they might be conformed like we are conformed to the image of Christ. Don't fuss the small stuff. At home, in church, don't fuss the small stuff. What gets your heart excited? What makes your blood race? Is it the goodness of God? Is it the gospel? Is it church? Do you get excited about church? I know, who can get excited about church? Uh, It's not this show we put on. It's those people you're called to love and serve and encourage in the Lord Jesus. Do you get excited about that? Do you get excited about seeing people come to know Jesus so that they might be included in God's family and become exiles with you, with a heavenly hope, an eternal hope? Do you get excited and About that. Do you get excited about the future? That there is hope. That there is eternity with God and with each other who love the Lord Jesus. Does that make your heart race? Does that help you get through the hard times? Because you get excited about the Gospel and the return of Jesus and the renewal of all things. To God be the glory. Amen. Thanks, John.